This special four-part series of A Cure for Baldness is proudly brought to you by Grant Walker Electrical, specialising in hospitality and commercial constructions, renovations and fit-outs. Contact the team at Grant Walker, 0415-091-546 or email grantwalkerelectrical.com.au. You're back on A Cure for Baldness. It's uh, just the most amazing interview we've had to date, Silky, and uh, that's no disrespect to other guests, but I could sit here all day and I'm seriously thinking about inviting Tomo for a sleepover because uh, chapters one, two, and three are just riveting. We're now going to get to chapter four of Tomo's life so far, the story so far, as we like to say it, and it's not Tomo, it's Damien Tomlinson, Australian Commando, sitting in the Radio Hub studios. We're so proud and pleased to have him in here. Uh, Tomo, as I now call you, because we're now BFFs, a recap on your life to date is amazing. I mean, this young kid grows up on the Central Coast. He's a surfer. He's, you know, sort of hanging out with his mates, as we all do as young Australian men. Decides to go in the army, decides he wants to become a commando, goes through all that training. Everything's all cool and, you know, you've watched reruns and reruns of Full Metal Jacket and, and you're sort of imagining what it's like. You get to Fiji and then whack, you know, your, your chapter whacked us in the face. This podcast has whacked us in the face. With that experience in Fiji, things get real. You train extremely hard to get to Afghanistan, I guess, if you will, like a grand final team would. And then, you know, moving right through, bang, in Afghanistan, you go through this horrible experience with the uh, IED, explodes, rips you in half, rips your body in half. You, you really shouldn't be sitting here telling this inspiring, emotionally, you know, amazing story uh, that Silky and I have the pleasure and our listeners are just going to just love. You go through the hospital situation where you upset every single nurse in Sydney and then recover by <laughs> bringing it home that you're the one going out with no legs. I love that part. Uh, you know, you redeploy back into the army. One of the things that I love the most is you, you know, standing there, you're wanting to stand there. Just the mindset of Damien Tomlinson fascinates me, how you want to stand in front of your mates. I think there's a compassion there that shows why you have been so successful and why you're so uh, so popular in the next chapter, which we're going to call Getting On With It, because you have just got on with it. You know, you've faced adversity, you've faced death, you've faced many different things that only you can talk about with, you know, such authority because it's you that has done this. Um, but there's next chapter, Silky, it's exciting, Getting On With It. How did you get on with it? How did you get on and just get past the injury, get past the emotion, the pain, the trauma, and just get yourself going and back to a normality? I mean, there's always wanting to have something going on. You know, you want you want to have like a goal to sort of move to. You know, initially the first, the first goal was, you know, I wasn't even right riding, riding a snowboard again, I think was more about just being me. But then I, when I was in the hospital, I knew that there was going to be drastic changes that had to be made. You know, I had the physical capabilities you know, to obviously make what it was to become a commander. I had that sort of taken, you know, it was, it was one of those things I knew I was going to have to adjust. I was going to have to change things, things that I did. So I, and I originally wanted to be the first guy that's Australia's had that's redeployed in the special operations task group that has prosthetics. So when I was, I, I went through different training courses that we had to do and, you know, I was back at work within sort of a couple of six weeks or something like that of, um, of being injured, you know, I, when I could first walk, I'd go back into work, not working full time, but I was doing the work, some work in the development of procurement cell. And then I kind of just decided, you know, I, at some stage I'd had a few, few different opportunities sort of present themselves. You know, I, I worked out when we were launching the welfare trust because originally they didn't have something that was backing special operations task group from the Eastern seaboard of Australia. They didn't have that. So they're like, Oh, do you want to, can you come in and do like a, like a five or 10 minute spiel for a group of people. I'm like, okay, yeah, where is it? And they're like, I oh, down at the briefing room. 
So cool. And this is at the launch of the Welfare Trust where I'd done the little 60-minute segment and the per- first people I walk in there and there's Lachlan Murdoch sitting in the front row. You know, they had a bunch of other business bigwigs and I was like, all right, gravity just hit of how important this talk was. You know, we need to get the people like that support when it comes to how we're going to get the, the message across, especially with the veil of secrecy that goes on with what we do in Afghanistan. You know, if you knew what we were doing there, we're not doing our job properly. So, yeah, and that... I, from there, there became a bit of a demand to have me speak at a corporate level, you know, which originally the goal was just to change one person's mindset. You know, if someone isn't supportive of the of the situation that we've got in Afghanistan, just reach one person, you know, and then, you know, I guess humanize what we do, you know, humanize the job because it's not, it's not necessarily people who are any different to anyone else, you know, it's just someone who's made that choice, that decision that they're going to go off and be the voice for someone who doesn't have one. So, you know, and I think that's why I'm so proud of being able to, to tell the story, you know, of having the opportunity to, you know, maybe the only reason why I can is because guys were good enough on the ground to keep me alive. So I'm kind of, it, to me, it's being able to sort of repay them a little bit by telling parts parts of the stories of how good they are and the job that they do. You, you're very busy. I mean, you, you've done the Targa rally a couple of times. You've, you know, you've marched Kokoda in memory of a good friend with his dad, Scott Palmer. You know, there's so many things that you've ticked off, the boxes that you've ticked off. How do you find the time? I mean, originally with the target, it was great. It kind of just it fell into my lap. You know, one of the boys, that he'd always dreamed of doing like one of the rallies. And um, we got had Legacy on board and the Welfare Trust were equal beneficiaries in the money that we raised from different drives that we'd done. And we... It, it was interesting. Like before, we did the Target Tasmania. We'd done all the prep with a guy who was going to navigate the car. Who did, then gives me a call just before we start and just goes, "Oh mate, I sorry, I can't, I can't navigate the car. I get car sick." I'm like, "What do you what?" And he's like, "Oh, I can't. I, I just I get car sick. I look down at the pages and then I look up and then <laughs> I I just get car sick." I'm like, did, "So this is obviously something that's just happened. You didn't know like eight months ago yeah. when you started as the car's navigator that you get car sick. Oh, I should have known. I can't even look down in a magazine when I'm on a bus." <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, "You fucking idiot. Are you kidding me?" So I said, "Can I have the guy who's organising his number?" And then I had to learn to sort of nav- to navigate in three days, which is kind of good because the guy who was dry who drive the car had a really clear picture of what he wanted and we both worked at that level sort of in in the army you know he was from our unit and really reputable guy so it was you know i, I could all i had to do i knew all i had to do was give him what he wanted and coordinates he, right yeah but what is it that you give him what he wants? like if he's the driver you are a huge element of trust for him because you, you make a wrong decision you're back in that pressure cooker yeah well, i'd i'd had i kind of had my um my, my sheet of notes you know a uh, long six left into and there was like there's a different code so it's just learning the code of what i have to say you know what what's gonna you know into basically means you've got less than 50 meters before it um followed by there's two or three different words that in the set of notes we had would give him how much how far he has to be to set the car up for specific corners so we drove a few tracks where i'd you know i'd in my mind be able to get the rhythm of what we were going to do sort of down you know i mean it was great it was a great experience doing it but trying to talk about the car in the media you know like he's got all this knowledge of what happens with cars i grew up on a surfboard i don't know yeah yeah not a revet yeah not really i was so but you're good with coordinates and positioning and all your training that had led you to this moment has given you the skills or the base to be able to 
Yeah, he had, he had that, that rhythm, and I had the trust that he could he could drive. You know, we both done drives di- different courses, but you know, he was really good at uh, moving things at, at speed. So it was it was good to sort of sit in there, but it was it was hard. You know, like they would ask you questions. Oh, so you've got this type of you know JB two disc brake things of this and that that you got machined and whatever like this, and I'm like. I don't, I don't know, yeah. I ride a 6.2. I ride a 6.2 Fat Fish by JS. You know, it's a really good board. I love the board. Um, Do you yeah. know what's amazing about this? Everything has a language. And, and, you know, whether you're listening to this this podcast and you're a business person, a family man or whatever, you're going to draw a lot of laughter. You're going to have a lot of inspiration. Everything has a language. You just clicked Silky's language there, surfing, 6.2, J, you know, board by JS within a fishtail. It's funny, eh? And you've yeah. got to learn the language of whatever that sport yeah, is yeah. Or, or that culture. Yeah, so it, was, it felt kind of bad, but not being able to answer those questions when I knew that the guy would be sitting back watching the interview, just going, oh, God, it took me two months to build this and this and blah, blah, blah. You go, oh, God, okay. Oh. I love the guy, that got, the guy that got car sick after eight months. <laughs> I mean, we talk about languages. One language you all understand is this amazing uh, spirit, I think, that this country has been built on, and you epitomize that for me. Um, you know, and, and all the men and women that go before us that serve our country and it should be given the greatest respect. One thing that you did was honour a mate and, and, and the highest honour you could possibly do with his with his dad by walking Kokoda, a, um, if you will, a sacred site of our national history and our culture. How did, how did you feel doing that? I mean, he's a guy that has served his country at the highest level, has been in one of the most horrific life-threatening incidences saved by his own his own team. Is this something you wanted to do to give back? Is it something you wanted to do for healing for yourself? Is it a mark of respect? What got you to walk the Kokoda Trail? Uh, originally, I I'd never even had crossed my mind to do the Kokoda Trail. You know, I it, it was really popular and people had, people had spoken about it. But um, it wasn't until I was asked to go to a barbecue. You know, I was there with with Scotty with uh, Scotty's old man. Sorry, and we were we were there they're talking about it, and they'd had that the chopper crash, and the chopper crash was a pretty horrific thing you know we lost three guys um before that we'd only lost two from our unit during afghanistan and um when i was you know just thinking about like the different the, the guys you know and and how i how i knew them and stuff you know apples and then chucky you know you kind of like all right i remember the team come past after we'd done a job one night and sort of just somehow cracked the joke yeah, we were all so exhausted. It was just amazing that he could do that, you know. Um, ben was the first guy I'd ever met from that was from the unit besides our directing staff in advanced infantry training because they were doing a – yeah, it's it's a long story how we actually met each other. But um, then, you know, I'd, Scotty had jumped out of a car that was two cars back when I'd got into He was one of the first people to get hands on me and was around the scene doing stuff, you know. So then, you know, I seen – when I went to meet his dad, it was a mark of respect just to see his dad. You know, and then I went up and was, we were talking to each other about it and he said, you know, and I knew that they were on their last job when yeah. that chopper went in. You know, they only had a week before they came home and his dad was telling us about, you know, he was just about to get out of the army. And I remember he had said things about getting out but then kept sort of going back. It's kind of one of those things, oh, I'm getting out. That's like your blow up, full blow up phase, I'm getting out of the army. And he'd sort of... He'd done that a few times, but his dad sort of said, you know, he's, he was looking at getting out of the army. So, you know, in his last last job on his last deployment, you know, the choppers hit a bank on its way in. And, you know, I'm there looking at this, his old man, you know, he's obviously, it was hurting at the time. You know, I mean, I think it hurt everyone. and But I can't imagine what it would be like to, you know, for a father to bury his son. You know, I just, 
So I'm holding back tears and I wasn't really doing it too well because I'm just that flowing well. This, you know, and he goes, look, we we're going to walk Kakoda together. And, you know, that made it worse. Like, oh, God. And he goes, look, I just want, I want to do it with you. Then. I'm like, okay, yeah, no worries, right? Let's do it. You know, and then it was, you know, I, I, I went there completely underprepared. I didn't really train. People trained for like six months to do Kakoda. I was just like, no, I'm good because I can take this leg off. I can use crutches for part of it. It's going to be great. You know, it's, what could possibly go wrong? It's 96 kilometers of some of the most arduous terrain you've seen, which I think what looking at it from a, a soldier's perspective, it just gave me a new understanding of what guys would have gone through. It's just such a completely different style of warfare than happens in Afghanistan. You know, it's jungle warfare. And there's, you know, there's so much, so much dead ground, you know, dead ground is a bit of ground that you can't sort of see, you know, they, they call it dead ground. But yeah, it's seeing some of the escarpments and, like features and stuff that they had to take and would had would have had to fight off was just mind blowing. So you know you went you went kind of back into soldier mode when you're on it, and you wouldn't want your zipper to make noise, so you'd be like noise disciplining, and then you'd hear someone from like a tent scrunching some chip packet, and like in your back of your mind you go shut the fuck up, what's he doing that for? And but then go oh cool I can just unzip. And I, it was kind of liberating to feel that while it, we were on it. It's interesting because you did it with another, say, a dozen or 20-odd soldiers or, or former soldiers. Yeah. It must have been some interesting talk after a day's climbing, you know, where you're all sitting around the fire having a, having a feed. There must have been some, you know, yeah. sharing stories and laughter and maybe a few tears. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were some great bits, you know. People have their, have their different sort of things about it. But I've got a huge amount of respect for the engineers, you know. you just I And on my trip, it changed. You know, originally you'd think, you know, we're at the pointy end, us guys are, are doing a great job. But then you look there and there's engineers out the front that are sweeping with their weapons down the whole time, basically with the, almost with a target drawn on them. You know, I mean, and we had uh, Brett, Brett Till got, was killed probably 10 days before my my explosion went off. You know, and we're, we're, we're coming along a road and they said they'd found something, so everyone stopped or got into like a sort of a little defensive posture He's gone up, went to blow it, and when the pop went off, we all you, you get to cover, you hear the pop, and you kind of looked at the other driver, and I'm like, Where's? and he looked and goes, that didn't sound like it was big enough. I'm like, yeah, it did sound a little bit sort of small. Then when he went back out to inspect, they go, oh, you know, he's going back out to inspect, blah, blah, blah. You hear that over the earpiece, and then boom. It just, yeah, it um, it killed him on the, the impact of the, the explosion, you know, it kind of ripped him apart. It was booby-trapped. You know, but we we just put um, the remains of bread in, in, in his bag and sort of sent him back. Within like an hour, those guys were back out sweeping the road, you know, to get us to the next objective, which to me was just, that was one of the most superhuman things I've ever seen. Like of the amount of resolve that you can have just still blows my mind to be able to, you know, we'd, we'd lost someone, but then be back up on your tools, doing your job just pushing through that was that was phenomenal to me and that was a real a real honor then to be able to do Kokoda with guys who had done that you know like guys who were, were in that role with their specific that specific role the, the engineers that got us under targets that you know were doing their best to avoid situations like like happened to me you know it was it was really really cool you know I got a huge huge amount of respect for him but I remember Ray who's Scott Scotty's dad when he he gave me this talk like he'd, he'd hurt his knee or something and I could tell I think it was just emotionally overwhelming you know and I, I remember going up and going all right cool I got to put my 
put my Inspire hat on here. I thought about like, you know, I gave him this speech that I'm pretty sure my snowboarding coach had given me back in the day. But I gave him, you know, I was giving it back to Ray, like just turning on the Tony Robbins, just going, okay, cool, here you go. You know, mate. And you, when the you hot think, coals kind of talk, isn't it? Was, it? Yeah, it was like that. It was like, you know, when you think you're done, you've still, you've still got 50% left in your tank. It's just knowing how to access that. Like, I've, So I've given him this full talk that it all flowed so well. I was like, that was kind of like patting myself on the back going, that was awesome. But then it was funny because by the afternoon, I was at the same stage. I was like, I'm over it. Yeah. Physically, I'm exhausted. I get into camp, but I get in 10 minutes after and then there's Ray around the campfire doing this talk to the engineers, the exact same <laughs> talk. Honestly, he's like jumping around like it's Steve Irwin. He's yeah. got all these things like, yeah. so guys, you still got 20% left. Like he's doing all that sort of stuff. It was, it was just good. I mean, it was really, it was cathartic to be on that journey, you know, with him and then to see in years after how much he grew. You know, how my, then he became like an ambassador and helped out other families that had lost, that had lost sons and well, sons. It gives you, I, I think you, you know, you talked, uh, you know, previously about, you know, when you had the forever changing experience, you know, the purpose, um, you know, you weren't willing to compromise. I think when you talk like that, the first thing I think is it heals people. When you talk about standing in front of your whole, you know, platoon or your whole unit, I should say at the airport it just it's healing for them as well it's both of you you know what i mean and yeah. for you to talk, talk us to, to you know tell a great in-depth story like that on kokoda he must have got so much emotionally out of that and, and everyone that i know that's been on kokoda talked about the emotional journey they went on we had a podcaster here that does one of our surfing podcasts and he said the depth of emotion he become great mates with paul harrigan they did it for the mark hughes foundation mm -hmm. and he said bush i can't tell you i can't describe the experience it's kind of like you're describing uh you know combat to silky and i we we can only listen and learn and, and visualize it but you've done it and it's amazing to get those in-depth emotions that you get so it's amazing you inspire him to do that and maybe heal him yeah i mean it was just good to be a part of you know i mean i and i know when he asked me to do it i probably waited the same amount of time as scotty would have waited sort of say to my dad you know if it was around the other way yeah you know? so and that's that's what it is it's it's a, it's a world that's built around that sort of Anzac philosophy of I'm going to be there for my mate, you know, and if we, we lost, we lost his son, but still then his family become our responsibility. Yeah. You know, so no matter what he, no matter what he asked, I was, I was always going to say yes to it. So. Mate, you, you just touched on something there that strikes a chord because having heard you speak, you know, at Anzac Day functions and, and even the hundredth anniversary down there at Bondi yeah. in wow. front of, you know, 10,000 people, the work you do, you know, behind the scenes with, uh, the welfare trust with defence care legacy as a former soldier how important is that role to you i think it, for me it, for me it's it's good it's an honor to be in that position you know i've still got so much respect for you know there's been different stages you know i think scott when, when we lost scott and seeing what his what his parents go, go through sort of you know really isolated and proved that it's not really just a soldier's game you know i mean their families and people around them you know wives and you know my cousin's deployed four or five times he's got two kids and he's missed combined like sort of two years of their life all up just by deploying you know and then that they're the sort of their support network that holds soldiers up you know to be able to go out and speak on their behalf and spread that story that you know it's not really something especially since how much of a media war uh vietnam was you know kind of ruined public perception of what soldiers were doing there you know afghanistan was much more toned down when it came to the media side of it so to be able to go out and sort of do those things that raise awareness for what troops and their families are going through it's it, it's a pretty it's a pretty special privilege that i'm really yeah i'm 
good feeling. Dad, dad, one one thing that I've um, picked up on in the last couple of years is the amount of young returned servicemen and women attending Anzac Day ceremonies. As a, as a former serving soldier in Afghanistan, how does that make you feel? Because there's always the the grandeur of the World War One and the World War Two soldiers celebrating Anzac Day, but they're no longer with us. And there's this transition now. There's this whole new group of, of young soldiers. Do you Jan, see yeah. it? Do you see it changing from from where you stand? I mean, I I wasn't sure because we'd most of my experience with the public and how they were going to talk about was generally after sometimes sometimes when you were at you would say you know i i work for the army maybe you drive trucks would be your your little go-to if the if the girl was good enough if you really had to land if you had to seal the deal but generally generally because just because of where we were there'd be there's a lot of uni students who tend to have a lots of opinions about whether yeah whether people should be in specific spot so you know I, I mean we've been called baby killers just for being in the army before yeah you know and you kind of and i didn't know how the public were gonna were gonna respond you know and it wouldn't be it wouldn't have, i knew that i knew that it wouldn't have been too enjoyable if you know you've, lo- you've lost legs somewhere and then people are telling you that you shouldn't be there or something like yeah. that so i didn't know it wasn't until the first year in 2010 i went down to, to bondi for the first time you know i was like there are a lot of trendy type you know fashionable people in Bonnet, you know, a lot of a lot of successful ones as well. It's like I wonder what with that demographic how they'll receive you. Yeah, how they how they'll receive that entire sort of side of things. You know, I remember the first year I went down, I went down with my medals on and it was just so inspiring to see that. Sort of, you know, ten thousand people all standing there paying their respect yeah. first thing in the morning, you know, all still dressed uber stylishly and stuff like that, mm. but still paying that respect, you know, it was yeah. I love, and I heard you speak on that day, and I thought, you know, I've never seen so many people. That's our turf. Silky and I grew up down that grass down at the beach, and that's always been, you know, I had my 21st at the club, you know, the rats, and, you know, I've got an RSL mentality, huge respect. You know, I think Anzac Day is the most important day in our Australian calendar. You know, Christmas is lovely with the family and all that sort of stuff, and New Year's a bit of a celebration, but Anzac Day is the, I think, the spiritual, or it's almost like a religion to me, and one of the things that I think impressed both of us is not just the young returned service men and women, the young people, like my young fella and his mates all wanted to come down. So yeah. the respect continues. And, you know, I know it's, you know, lest we forget, I think never forget. You know what I mean? And yeah. and that's what I love. That's the message I got out of it. And some of those kids were asking us questions about different things. And as the speech was, you know, look out to the ocean. Oh, I, I still rocks. remember the speech where I you, remember it. you turn yeah. around to look out at the ocean and, you know, yeah. you kind of compared the Dardanelles to... The cliffs at North and South Bondi. So I clearly remember it. I, mean, I remember it clearly too. And it, I, something we'd be so proud of, you know. I mean, like when you think about the people who forged the Anzac name in battle, you know, they went in under such duress and such hard, arduous circumstances and then still forged an international name for Australian troops. 100%. You know, I mean, to be able to, it's, it was an honour, I think, to be able to serve in the memory of people. But it's also, it's, there's a, there's a huge sense of responsibility. And the know, bond you know. with New Zealand, the bond with our sister country, our greatest sporting rival is also yeah. like when there's a fight on, well, the Aussie and the Kiwi get together and punch yeah. the absolute shit yeah, out of the South yeah. African, maybe just because of the accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move to the to the really quirky, uh, you know, inspiring, you know, you're a corporate speaker. You speak to so many highly successful sporting teams and, you know, you're quite revered when you go down. I talk to the guys at the Roosters and, you know, you command the utmost respect. I love seeing you at Anzac Day and, there's not much you don't do. Sookie said how busy you are, but one of the most exciting things I think um, that that I see is uh, you're now a movie star in Hacksaw Ridge with a great Australian 
man who, you know, one of the first movies that made him famous was that famous Gallipoli, and who hasn't loved and watched that movie Absolutely. many times? Oh, yeah, he and runs, he runs you, down the line, doesn't oh, he? Oh, and that music, you know well, what I mean? Gibson had to get there in time, yeah. <laughs> just phenomenal, you know, and, you know, you must pinch yourself and think, wow. You know what I mean? For me, this podcast has been, you know, as inspirational and you, know, you learn so much about people from this, but that must be amazing for you to sit there and think, now I'm in movies. Yeah, I... I mean, I I hit a stage where um, I broke my back going for the Paralympics. You know, I broken it and it was, it was like it was only a compression fracture. So I mean, it was pretty ah, much don't a worry scratch. About it, mate. It's a, a band aid for you. Yeah, that's it. It's pretty much a scratch. So I was like, all right, up, don't son. yeah, don't ride for sort of four to six weeks. So I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'll basically I'll I'll have I'll have six and go. I'll be riding again in three. But um, then I started going. Okay, like when it comes to living and having a family and doing stuff, the last thing I want to do is wake up in a bed and have them go, this time you can't learn to walk again. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll sort of tone down a little bit. And I was doing a lot of the corporate work speaking and I was like, what what else can I do? They got me in for a screen test on something um, God, three, three and a half years ago and I was awful. Like I'd read the script, I'd watched like three seasons of Entourage and I thought I've got this wired, how hard can this be? And then when I got in and watched my screen test back, it was like so bad. It was the worst thing you have ever seen. And I was speaking in an Australian accent. I was like, I when I was young, I wanted to be, I wanted to act, but it was always, you know, it was, it was too steep of a curve. I'd listened to too many negative sort of ideas with it to yeah. really ever give it a go, you know. And it's one of those things with you got to be, and that's why it's such a blessing, the position I'm in, you know, skinny jeans became cool right when I've lost my legs and I've got little tiny chunks going down <laughs> in my feet. You're like, really, why does that happen? But you start not then paying attention to opin- people's opinions and knowing most time, most times people say that you can't do something, it's them voicing their insecurity, you know? So I decided, well, against the flow, I'm going to start studying acting. You know, I mean, I might do it. Why? What do I have to lose? You know, the corporate speaking is doing well. I know that I can stay afloat and keep my head above water. I go and go and study acting, which it was it was great fun. You know, I mean, like, why wouldn't you? You know, there's generally a reasonably attractive level level of girl that likes to study acting as well. So you're kind of putting yourself in the thick of it. And um, we'd I'd gone and studied for a couple of years and then got the opportunity for the screen test. You know, so they, it was only because one of the teachers from school. I used to use the boys as a way to tap into my emotional sort of level because, you know, I still it still pinches me is the, the word they use. So I was holding like a set of um like a thing that's similar similar to dog tags that used to remind me of the boys, you know, and I'd sit in there and I was trying to do a speech that one of them had done when we were overseas. You know, we were singing the thing out of Team America, yeah. one of the songs. So it was it's like a funny thing. But the hard thing is to know how much it's impacted like the, me, my incidents impacted him. So when I'm doing it, I'm kind of slowly breaking down while I was trying to do this song. It's all about being as real as you can. And yeah, the teacher just goes, look, you, you use one of your boys for that, right? Because he knew the background to it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, you've got to get in, t- in touch with Nicky Barrett about this thing that they're doing. So I had no idea how big it was. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, I will. No worries. And he goes, yeah, you manager, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He goes, get him to get in touch with her. So I went down screen, like she they, she goes, yeah, we'd love to have you in to read for it. You're just reading for one of the company troop, blah, 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 this. So I did the two-page screen test. I did the screen test and then she's like, okay, cool. Well, you realize that um, you know, it's it's a reasonable 
pretty big production type thing, this and that. And I'm like, yeah, 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 here, here it's pretty good. You know, I just thought it was, you know, an Australian or maybe a short. I didn't even really know, you know, I had like what the screen test was and that was it. And then two weeks later, I'm walking down along Coogee Beach with my, um, it was, she wasn't even my fiance at the time, but yeah, my, my girlfriend and I was, we were walking along and she's now, now my wife, but I'm, I said to her, I'm like, oh, this is the, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, I got the role. I got the role. So I'm yelling and screaming and stuff. Just I would have looked like a lunatic down in the esplanade at Coogee. I'm like, and you'll never, you'll never guess it. You will never, ever guess this. Mel Gibson is directing. She's like, oh, who's she? <laughs> I was like, hey, fucking Braveheart, the guy with the, really? How can you? Oh, yeah, I think I know. But like, I mean, I cut it because she's, she's a lot younger than I am. But um, yeah, it was it was kind of funny. I think part of yeah, it was surrounding as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then knowing that, you know, knowing that that was, that was happening, it wasn't until we went in and sat in the room and I looked on the wall, you know, and there's, they've got, there's 20 faces were up on the one wall, you know, you got Sam Worthington, you got Vince Vaughn. You, know, you got Andrew Garfield, you know, you recognize Spider-Man from kilometers away, you know, and then all these other guys, like for Astrani, he was so good when they did the 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 underbelly series. Yeah, Richard you know? Roxburgh. Yeah, he Richard Roxburgh. Yeah. You got all these amazing, like, Aussie stuff. and then there's my smiling face in the middle of the board. You're kind of like, wow, it just got very, very real. Yeah, right. You know, like, it, yeah. So, so let me ask you, you know, there's, there's talk out there in, in movie land that it could be, uh, you know, up for an Oscar for best best picture, and maybe even Mel for best director. Does that mean you're uh, you get a flight over to Hollywood for the for the red carpet? <laughs> Mate, I'll, I'll be ha- I'll be happy enough just to see it on the boards. I've always watched the Oscars, you know. I've always had a really keen interest in what's in what's happening in that world. So, like, just to just be able to see that thing there, and hopefully, like one of the one of the bigger scenes that I do with with Andrew, you know, is I'm going to get you home. Yeah, that's the line. So yeah, so I mean, I'm just, I'm just hoping because it's in the short as well. I mean, which is the cool thing. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, like I, you tell your family and stuff. You're like, oh, guys, so you know, I, I'm doing this thing, and everyone. Great everyone, accent, by the way. Just let me add. So I don't want to give the movie away, but uh, he's got a great American it. accent. Our, our, uh, it's our a perfect tonight. It's a perfect night for them. I just heard the thunder above us. I thought it was uh, the neighbours, but it's a perfect night for the movies and a bit of rain. You want to get it chocked up? No, <laughs> mate, I've already seen it. No, I'm talking to Damien. Oh, right. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was it, the the American accent. I think part of mine because I I actually lost my voice. I had a cyst in my chest for that we didn't know why my voice was gone. And when I was going across the train with Team Utah for to push for the Paralympics, when I'd I'd had my voice back for maybe two weeks, and I was reteaching myself to speak for three months while I was in the states. And you don't realize how sticky their accent is mm. until yeah, because people that people had asked me, they go, "So." You're Australian, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? And they go because you kind of got a bit of got a bit American. of something to your to your accent. And you're like, okay. Um. Yeah, I just call myself a thespian if I was you. I yeah, know. yeah. On the movie, for those who don't know, it's about a, a gentleman. A true story by the, the guy's name's Desmond Doss, who was a conscientious objector, so he refused to bear arms. Knowing That's what I know of the movie, yeah. Well, you know, well, no, I don't give away the ending. But, but the thing is, knowing what I know about you and, and how important training and what we've learned today, if if you know a Desmond Doss was in your company, how, how would you react? He wouldn't get to my company. That's this is the simple thing, you know. I mean, there's special forces world. There's a square block, square hole, and the guys around block. You know, and that, that was what, when I first read the script, when they, they've gone, look, you've got that, you get this really cool, you get a script that's got watermark, it's got Damien Tomlinson written across it, which 
you almost want to take a photo of it like when it's happened you know wow this is amazing but when i was when i was reading the script it had me in tears at the end of it but for the first bit i was trying to relate to okay cool i'm a soldier in his platoon when that guy gets the basic training when i find that out i'm not going to like him you know the basic question is you know the basic thought process that i would have had if that guy was at kabuka with me was what's it going to take you if you could prevent me from getting shot by shooting someone why would you why do you then have to wait until i get shot to come over and then go oh it's okay i'll patch you up over something you know what i mean mm. like so i i knew that from my character's point of view he's you know he's has a family you know, his name was ralph morgan you know he has a family and you create your backstory you know so i had you know he's got a family from minnesota so when i, I when i was like sort of creating little bits that he does you know i I'd imagine my my wife holding a kid on a balcony you know so then that was that was what i had to get home to that was the whole time it was just you know none of us want to be at war but when i get back i've got that yeah you know so that and that that was even even during the first things he's starting to go well i i know he would have got a hard time you know a lot of it's really really brutally honest of the way that soldiers would respond to you know someone who's going in there saying i don't want to bear arms you know and then doing it on what could seem than a holier than now quest of you know so what you do you think you're better than me type thing or what are you doing why don't you want to be like the rest of us you know it's about us all working together let's as one yeah yeah so i could i had a point of view about it sort of as soon as i read it but i was, I was in tears by the end of the script you know it's just such a moving thing you know it's, it's, it's yeah just go out and watch it, people. Yeah, go out, out and watch it. Oh, treat treat yourself. <laughs> Actually, Rich, is such an amazing mate. Uh, did you get starstruck on set or when you were filming or do anything like that? You know, I did. You get meet Mel Gibson? Did yeah, you get, yeah. You know, Mel, a lot of the time, like anyone who grew up in a surfing town, I love Mel. Like he's he's just crazy. He's funny. He's quirky. He's got this amazing vision. As a, as a storyteller, he's just awesome. But most starstruck, I think I sort of been at. at at that stage, I'd met I'd met Mel, but you know, I they were kind of it was kind of comfortable because all the stars that I met, even when I met Vince, Andrew, I Sam Worthington as well, you know, it was amazing in Avatar and so many cool Australian things like getting square and all these different yeah, things yeah. he's been in. And um I was I was probably that was still in my world, I felt, to a degree. Yeah. You know, we're in an army world and you know, okay, that's that's my world, you're all actors. Yeah. So I think was part of it that made it comfortable, you know, and then but Vince walked in when we were, I was sitting in like Mel's seat with David Perman, who was one of the other producers, and Vince walked in and said how great of a guy Owen Wilson was. He sent him a message before we started filming saying, you know, good luck on the next picture. And he's like, he's doing this talk. Oh, I remember we were writing Crashers and this and that. I loved Wedding Crashers. Oh, great. One of my all-time favorites. Oh, yeah. And then so then to have Vince Vaughn standing in there talking about like Owen Wilson sending a message about it, you're like, I started actually got to the stage where I was like, is this a reality show? Yeah, right. Because like, this is everyone just watching all these cool things. Like, because you, you kind of have to pinch yourself at stages through it, like stuff that I've got to do. Just going, okay, this is this is real. Am I? Am I? Someone's entertainment. Like, what's happening here? It's yeah, just yeah. Someone really, filming me. Yeah, like a joke. yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, is it just the longest lasting joke ever? Like, and then I'm like, well, I'd think, well, why did they take the legs off in Afghanistan? Why? Did, why did they go down that route? But yeah, it was. I think the most starstruck I probably got was because Teresa Palmer, I'd watched her in final cuts of the movies and she's Australian and just phenomenal, but I'd watched it three times before I actually met 
Teresa, which was at the premiere night. And she's so good in it. Stunning. Oh, my God. And she's amazing for a period piece. She just suits it so well. But Mm. then the stuff she does from an actor's point of view, like an actress, she's just amazing. So when I finally got to meet her, I was like, I just had marbles. quite easy on the eye too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and she was, she's a good seven, seven, eight months pregnant. But I followed her on like Instagram or something when we were first, first doing the film and stuff. And I, or the only one I could speak to, like I said, hi. And then spoke to her husband. I'm like, man, when you when you get home or whatever, you just you gotta say, she was so phenomenal through this. She her, like her performance in it was that good that I just I couldn't even talk when I was speaking to her. Yeah, wow. Was like, yeah, it was worse, like worse than meeting because I got to meet um Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, and when I met them at the Unbroken premiere, when I met them, you know, I end up having like a good five ten minute talk with Brad Pitt, and the whole time I'm like, this is Tyler Durden. You know, yeah. trying to every now and then you just your mind drift to thinking that you're in Ocean's 14. You both standing there in your dinner suits. You're about to do the next job. And, oh yeah, great film by the what, way. What was it like uh, meeting Prince Harry? What was he like? He's really cool. Yeah, like he's a he's a legend. Like we had because we had William first came out and visited us at the unit, and I thought I'd be smart to the boys, so I pretended to touch his ass. Yeah, and then he switched weight. You know how you switch from like one leg to the yeah. other, and basically placed his ass in my hand. And I, it, as soon as it hit, I'm like, oh, my fucking career's over. I'm going to die. Oh, God. What are they going to do? Like, just thinking I'm going to jail or something like yeah, that. Yeah, touching the t- royal ass. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> like and it he, wasn't Kate's. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. He had this Unlucky. Sort of, oh, yeah, this odd sort of face where it's like, I think someone's touching my ass, eh? Like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm only human, mate. I'm only yeah. human. And that's sort of all I could do just while I'm thinking, oh, my God, my career's over. But he was so down to earth meeting him there. Then when we went over to do the Invictus games, yeah. I I wondered, you know, because sometimes they have a face for things that like, okay, this is the face behind it. But then seeing, and I got to have a really cool conversation with uh, Prince Harry and one of the one of the UK troops when they'd done the final concert. So the Foo Fighters, James Blunt, a whole bunch of other people had played at it. And he was like, so what did you think of the playlist? You know, and he showed this genuine interest in the way that they'd put the event on in going, you'd see that he's got like a heartfelt interest in looking after soldiers. Yeah. You know, and that was, that was, it was just really cool to see, you know, because I mean, he's obviously a really busy guy. He doesn't have to have that. He could just be the face and not even, yeah, and not even yeah he could be the it. face and not care. But then he comes over and he's talking and, you know, you can't, you can't fake interest in something. No. You know, so for him to, so what do you think from this perspective and that? And, you know, he would ask his way through different things that they'd done and just like, it was just really cool to see that he does have that true passion about yeah. about looking after soldiers. So it's yeah, it was, it was really cool. Plus, meeting him there, him and William both, because they'd walk around in the crowd, they'd have their security guards sort of shadowing them a bit, but you couldn't sort of see it. So they'd talk to everyone. I go in for a piss, and then I turn around, and there's both of them. Yeah, both right. princes are in the toilet, and I'm like, I can't. You can't whip the phone out and selfie <laughs> with the princes in the toilet, can you? So I said to William, I'm like, oh mate, do you? You remember when you went across to Australia? Like it would have been a good three, four years ago, and you you got some photos taken. Some guy accidentally touched you in the ass. You know, probably about my height. Nice smile. Kind of gave him that. Oh yeah, I do remember. You know, blah blah. So how are you? I'm like, oh good, good. Congratulations <laughs> on the on the kid on the way and all that sort of stuff. Oh cool. wow. I get a secretly <laughs> like, oh god. Mate, you've, uh, I mean, you've had so many amazing experiences and I know you, you love your roosters and you know you love your cricket and your baseball. Who are your heroes? Who's a hero to you? Because I think 
not you know just listening to this podcast, people that come up to you after you speak and people that hear you talk, people within the military, people in sporting you know organisations have often said, mate, he's a hero, that guy. And they mean it. Who are your heroes? Who's your inspirations? I mean, I, re- I really like, because like I said, when I grew up, there was their culture of not wanting to sort of perform. You know, the cool guy was the guy who didn't, didn't give his all, you know, I like say Minnie's, Minnie's one of them for yeah. sure. Anthony Minnie's fellow, you know, he'd spend his whole time like in a money driven sport. He spent his whole time, well, not money driven, but no, but you know, business. In the world, yeah, it's a business, you know, and it's his job yeah. to be a professional football, you know, and he played so many, so many consecutive, so many years with, with the Roosters, with one organization, you know, stayed loyal, you know, through that loyalty, you know, I find that inspiring, Yeah, you know, and I really like Anyone who's really good at what they do, you know, Trent Robinson blew my mind when they had me in uh, three three years ago. You know, it just blew my mind the, his approach to the to the game of football and the really the depth that he goes the into thinking, mentally. Eh? Yeah, the depth that he goes into mentally then really because resonate see, with you with what you do though. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was just really good to see, you know, because they had him and um, the rugby union coach he spoke at the at the bondi luncheon at the bondi surf club luncheon michael checker yeah yeah and i remember watching him and just going wow it's i had about 30 questions i wanted to ask him when i met him it's like okay cool so when you come into a new camp and you know i had all these different things that i just wanted to poke his brain about so by the time i actually got to seeing him at work you know that was that was really really inspiring he's a very composed individual isn't he oh yeah what do you think of guys like ben robert smith and mark donaldson and all these guys like I look at them, I've, I've been in his presence or his company, Ben, and you talked during today's interview about, you know, these big guys. He is the pin-up model for, yeah. for what I'd assume a commando he's or SAS. Massive, he's massive, isn't a he? Monster. Yeah. He's got Absolute an aura. He's got monster. an aura as well, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How, how oh, yeah, do you look at those kind of guys? You know, the VC? I mean, they're, they're, they're brilliant, you know. They're such, such role models, and they're just, they're, you know, they're the height of bravery. That's where that, that medal comes from, you know. He's, he's such a boss. So He's so cool to... You know, he's cool, calm, composed. He's always in control of what he's doing, which is just it's a really, really inspiring trait, that guy. You know, I mean, he's, he's a boss at Channel 7, Seven now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's doing doing really well with that. I mean, but pe- people who've got that sort of aura, I think they're always going to be successful in their chosen line of work. Yeah, 100%. You know, and he's he's brilliant. Like, Dono's great. We've done a couple of different charity things, and it's just still just inspires me his entire story. I don't know if you've read Crossroads, but it's... Yeah, it's phenomenal. The movie rights just got bought. Wow. Got bought at the same time we were doing the premiere for Hacksaw Ridge. So I really hope that they, really hope that they put that out as a movie because it'd be, yeah. I think you'll see two stories on those two Australian greats and hopefully it's oh, by yeah. someone or directed by someone like Mel Gibson because their stories are amazing. I've heard him speak a couple, on a few occasions when Silky and I had done some events as well and just inspiring, you know. Yeah. It's, it's just a different world that no one hits to. We're going to bring it home now with uh, two things. I'm going to, you know, talk to you about your family and your friends. I mean, obviously through everything that you've achieved so far in your life and, you know, there's a there's a common denominator, there's a common thread, common theme, whatever term you decide to use, um, family and friends, you know, they're obviously extremely important to you. You know, you're extremely grounded from your experiences, well supported. What do they mean to you? They're great. I mean, you're only as good as the people who are around you, you know, and that's, I think that's proven proven true time and time again. You know, I mean, my family have been great. There's been, obviously, it hasn't always been a, a smooth road, you know. It's been, for me, mentally tough at different times and there's been some good, there's always been really great understanding support, you know, of what's, what's actually going on with something rather than, you know, what gets said or what gets done. And they've always, they've always, always sort of been there for me, which is, which is really great. You know? I mean, it's sort of like a, 
reciprocating cycle, you know, and someone someone's there for you. The, what you want to do is you want to be there for them. You know, that's, that's the least you could do. And I think my yeah. my family have been great with with that sort of stuff. You know, they've always sort of they've always been there through through some really tough times. And I know that my my choices with what I've done have put them in in some pretty tough sort of spots. You know, and that was just based on my choice. So I got to do I got to do what I can to keep you know keep repaying the favour and. With, uh, you know, with that in mind, two months ago you got married, is it, uh, you know, and you got your beautiful wife and, and I think... She, she's gorgeous, isn't she? Yeah. She, I mean, you know, you guys, uh, you know, at the beginning, I suppose, of, of your marriage now and, you know, two months into it. What's next? Is is it family? What's in the next, uh, you know, what do you see in the future for Damien Tomlinson? Yeah, You've got mean, so much to, to live for and so much to love, so much to inspire, but yeah, in the family way, what's next? Yeah, well, that's, that, I think that's what sort of the, the epiphany I'd had, you know, I... I chased the snowboarding dream around the world a little bit. And, you know, I, when the back happened and through the military, it was really hard to plan to have a family because I had, it got asked of me when I was still in the army, you know, the girl, the girlfriend I was with said the throwaway line, where do you see yourself in five years? And you're like, I don't know where I'm going to be in two weeks. So how could I plan for that? You know, I, no, no offense. It's not a you thing, but you know, and then now I, I think the the whole plan is to be able to, you know, settle down become, custom to something maybe punch out a couple of rugrats and see how, see how things go that's so that's sort of the goal of it you know and that's why i think i decided i was gonna we just settle down do the get married and then and then work with that besides the fact that you know she's just too gorgeous to, to not. yeah you gotta lock that one down she's no yeah i saw that at the start i found myself sitting too close to her when i was at the uh watching the roosters one night with you two guys i, I had to put a seat between us yeah yeah that was just you actually <laughs> But if she I get takes past your, you, takes yeah. your breath away, doesn't she? Yeah, She's absolutely. Especially bit of work. It was, it was great. the first time she was on the big screen was when you know it just Anzac Day. <laughs> do the Anzac Day thing, and they were having the modern Anzac tribute, and I thought, okay, they've got pictures just up on the screen. That's fantastic. I'll get my phone out just to tweet about. Thank you very much, Sydney Roosters. What a great job you've done. And then I feel this whack, sort of on the leg. I'm like, what? I look up on the screen, and all I can hear is laughter. So what they'd done was they knew where I was, where I was sitting, and that I had my medals on. So they've cut the <laughs> cut so that the camera was straight on us. So you got this beautiful, beautiful twenty-year-old next to me, and then there I am on the on the freaking on the phone in front of forty-five thousand yeah, people, forty-five thousand people packed out at Lake City Footy Stadium. I'm like, oh wow! You've been training and learning your, your entire military career. What's the best bit of advice you've ever been given? Never stop learning. Never stop learning. Yeah. And never lose. I think the best, because I always used to get it confused, the best probably advice was one of my acting teacher originally, um, the first, first first acting teacher I had was always, you know, embrace that inner child, never lose it. You know, so it kind of gives you permission to be able to think freely. You know, and I, that, that's that been a really, really important piece of advice. If you look back at the young Damien Tomlinson that was hanging around the, the shop at Terrigal, oh, yeah. what would you say to him? Nothing he'd listen to. You know, that's, that's, I look back, I'm like, well, what, what could I have said to myself if I got the opportunity to walk back and say something to him? I don't think that kid would have listened. I, when, I, when I asked my dad about, um, I asked my dad about what, what I should do when I was young. You know, he's gone something, you know, I used to want to be an architect. And I'm like, okay, what happened? You got a master's in applied science and you work in IT now. You know, you got you had a degree in economics as well. And he goes, yeah. And, you know, the teachers at high school said that I didn't have the math scores to do it. 
I'm like, so you got a master's degree in applied science and you don't have the math scores. He goes, see, no one can tell you what you want to do. You know, just just follow your heart and you'll be fine. And he gave us that. Well, I can't tell you how inspiring it has been. Uh, you know, I've written some notes here that I was going to ask you, but we always finish with those three great questions of Silky's. I just want to say to the people out there listening that this is uh, this is an epic podcast of uh, great proportion for the cure for boldness. It's been such an honour and a privilege to have you on because the words I associate with uh, Damien Tomlinson is a man that doesn't hear the word can't, a man that doesn't hear the word won't, a man that would not even have the word quit in his vocabulary on the positives you'd have, make it happen. It's all possible. And I wrote these when I was sort of doing a little bit more research than just the relationship we've built over the few years that we've known each other. But I'm going to tell you, you know, the respect that we have for you in here and the listeners are going to have after this podcast is amazing. And we wish you the best as you go into the next chapter. And we just hope that you keep inspiring people with the story so far. It's been a great pleasure to have you on. And we want to thank you so much on behalf of The Cure for Boldness. Right on. Thanks for having us, boys. It was really good to be able to share a little bit of it with people. It's good to go back to some of those places as well. You know, I haven't, haven't looked into that, some of those cupboards in a while, so it was good.